Our New Testament lesson is a very brief one, just three verses, actually just three short phrases. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, uh, verses 16 through 18. It's on page 205 in a pew Bible if you want to look at that or if you want to memorize it, you can memorize it like that, three verses at one time. Because this is what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica when he's exhorting them at the close as to how to live as people of God. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Let us pray. Lord, you have told us that your word will not return empty, but it will accomplish its purpose. And we ask that through your spirit, this word would reach us and accomplish your purpose in us as your children. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you are a particularly observant worshiper, if you're one of those people, may their tribe increase who is looking for connections in the worship service as it is put together, linguistic connections or thematic connections, uh, then you are more than likely going to see something that is repeated in our worship service today, a phrase that is so important in the scriptures and in the life of disciples. The phrase is the face of God. Scripture charges us to seek the face of God. This is simply an idiomatic expression meaning the presence of God when you talk about seeking God's face. If you use an older version of the Bible, it will actually use those words typically, seeking the face of God, because that's literally what the Hebrew and the Greek say. But newer versions, in order to be better comprehended, often render this as seeking God's presence. That's what we will look at this morning. In this sermon series during Lent, we're focusing on the topic of prayer. And today I want to emphasize prayer as our seeking and celebrating God's presence and proximity in our own lives. Ordinarily, this is not the way that prayer is understood by many people inside of the church and by most people outside the church because they think prayer is simply our talking to God. Sharing with God what we want or desire or need, what we think about God or about life or about ourselves or our circumstances. At any rate, they think that prayer is something verbal, whether it's spoken aloud or spoken in the language of the heart. In fact, if you look up prayer in Webster's Dictionary, it will tell you there as their definition that it is addressing God through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I think someone on the editorial board for Webster must have been in Sunday school as a boy because many of us were taught that four-letter acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And that is, or they are, important aspects of prayer to be sure. They are words that are spoken or assumed. But this is not a complete definition of prayer. This is far from complete. The purpose of prayer, as I told you last week, is to know God more intimately, more genuinely. And if we are the ones who do all the talking when we pray and communicating and communicate with God, then there's not much more than we can learn about God. 
So prayer also includes investing our time and focusing our attention on that one that we want to be in closer fellowship with. And consequently, prayer also involves silence, meditation, listening. And they are as essential as the words we speak. So let me ask you today, how much listening do you do in your life of prayer? How much focused attention is there upon God and upon God's purposes for you given what you are going through in your own life at any given moment? In the 1980s, CBS correspondent Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa as a person of prayer. And in the interview, he said, Mother Teresa, we know that you are a person, a devout person of prayer. When you pray to God, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa said, I don't say anything. I just listen. After he recovered himself, he asked, well, then what does God say to you? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> Listening, being in God's presence is a critical part of a life of prayer and communion with God. Because prayer is not a monologue. If it is to be a mutual exchange and reciprocal communion that leads to a greater knowledge of God, a deeper communion and fellowship with God, then it needs to be a sacred dialogue, a two-way process of love and attention and companionship. And while words have their place, they are of limited importance. And one reason why I think so many people struggle with prayer and resist praying is because they're uncertain about what kind of words to use. Do they have the right words? What will people think of them if they hear them praying publicly? Yes, our words matter, but not to the extent that we sometimes suppose. I included a quotation from George Buttrick in his classic work on prayer in your bulletin this morning. And this is uh, what he says. Moses once heard a shepherd praying, O God, show me where thou art that I might become thy servant. I will clean thy shoes and comb thy hair. I will sew thy clothes and fetch thee milk. And Moses rebuked him. God is a spirit and needs not such gross ministrations. Thereupon the shepherd rent his clothes in dismay and he fled to the desert. Then Moses heard a voice from heaven saying, O oh Moses, wherefore have you driven away my servant? I regard not the words that are spoken, but the heart that offers them. Isn't that a beautiful expression? I regard not the words that are spoken, but the heart that is offering them. And yet we continue to place an inordinate amount of emphasis on the words that are spoken. One ancient definition of prayer defined it as Keeping company with God. Keeping company with God. You know, you can keep company with someone you know and love well and sometimes not say a thing. Just be in their company. There's a language of the heart. And sometimes just a wink or a touch of the hand or a smile communicates more than words can. Now, all of this is not to say that words are unimportant. Simply that they're not as important as we sometimes assume when it comes to prayer. 
Now we of all God's creatures that he fashioned have been gifted with the capacity to speak, to voice our concerns, to articulate our prayers, our joys, our fears, our hopes, our dreams. And the gift of language is a holy and precious gift to be sure. And maybe one aspect of our being created in the image of God is that we have this capacity to say actually what is in our heart and on our minds. But we need to remember that we're not informing God of things that God doesn't already know about. And sometimes in prayer, we try to give God a list of what's going on in the world as if God doesn't know. Lord, did you know about the shooting in New Zealand yesterday? God knows about that. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, your father knows what you need before you ask. Okay, you're not telling God something God does not know. Your words are actually a vehicle for you understanding yourself better. What is it that you would like to articulate before the one who loves you so that he sent his son to save you? In his book, Reformed Spirituality, Howard Rice speaks of the importance of solitude and quiet as we seek God's face or seek to be in the presence of God. And he quotes John Calvin who said, Sometimes the best prayers are unspoken. Calvin said that. And the Puritans distinguish between that, what they call ordinary prayer and extraordinary prayer. And ordinary prayer is just the prayer you pray at certain times of the day or seasons of life, set prayers that you use. But extraordinary prayer is something different. Extraordinary prayer involves meditation and mental focus. Focus upon God and God's purposes for you throughout the course of the day. Now, when I started this study uh, of prayer several years ago, all of this came as a new revelation to me because this was not how I con uh, con conceived of prayer either. In the Reformed tradition and among the Puritans, we, we have historically emphasized linguistic precision and the beauty of language. We're not very adept at spontaneous things, at spiritually or any other way, at intuition or an unstructured uh, spirituality. This makes us nervous because we can't control intuition. We can't control our emotions and yet they get us in touch with God above us and within us. John Calvin said some other surprising things about prayer in his chapter on prayer in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's probably his longest and maybe most stimulating section in the Institutes. But he wrote this, Prayer is none other than an expanding of our heart in the presence of God. An expanding of our heart in the presence of God. So prayer is not simply telling God what we want God to do or what we wish would happen. But it is opening ourselves up to God's spirit. And this requires a certain kind of boldness and honesty and vulnerability and trust. If our relationship with God is to grow and become deeper. And what does it really look like? When someone reaches this level of prayer, do they become some kind of religious fanatic, some kind of mystical guru or bizarre person? I don't think so. I think when we enter into this kind of prayer life, we become the person we were meant to be. We become more real, more natural than we were before. We become what God intended us to be. 
And we are better able to do what God intends for us to do as his children. And the image that comes to my mind when I think of a person whose whole life was a life of prayer is Reptiviev in Fiddler on the Roof. Do you remember how he's always talking with God in each and every circumstance of life? In the village, when he's working in the fields, when he's with his family, he's carrying on with this conversation with the Almighty as if he was his best and closest friend. And sometimes he's arguing with the Almighty, and sometimes they're laughing, and sometimes they're com he's complaining. But he delights in his God. He revels in being in the presence of his God. And God surely knows that Reptiviev is not just his servant, he's his friend, he's his companion. When I was a young boy in the church, I had heard and read the passage that we heard this morning that tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. Paul says in another place in Romans that we are to pray constantly. And I wondered, how in the world could this happen? We spend 24-7 on our knees praying. We can't even get around to doing the things that God asks us to do. But you see, I was taking these passages with a kind of wooden literalism that I don't think is intended. Because I only conceived of prayer as my communication with God. The only way that we can possibly pray without ceasing or pray constantly is if our whole life is a part of our prayer. If we look to God and celebrate God's presence with us in each and every circumstance of life, it is then that we are keeping company with God. It is then that we are truly praying. A few years ago, I had an experience when I was in Charleston. June 28, 1776 is a day that's commemorated in South Carolina. It may be in places in North Carolina. I haven't heard about it, but at any rate... It celebrates a victory over the British. When the British attacked uh, the Charleston Harbor, if they had captured it, they would have uh, taken control of the southern colonies. But they were repelled. There was a battle uh, out at Fort Moultrie, down the street a quarter of a mile from where I live. And the col colonial forces repelled the British when they tried to take uh, the harbor. Well, this is... Among many South Carolinians, especially those that live in Charleston or out on Sullivan's, kind of another Independence Day celebration. And so there are parades and there are bands playing, marching down the street, and there are patriotic speeches that are given down at White Point Garden or out on Sullivan's Island. And I attended one of these Carolina Day programs several years ago, and a friend of mine who is a, was at the time the priest in charge at the Rome, uh, Holy Spirit Catholic Church out near Kiowa, Father James Parker, a married priest, by the way, which is an interesting thing. I'll have to tell you that story sometimes, but because I've never have understood if the Catholic Church will allow married men to become priests, why don't they let their priests marry? But anyway, that's another story. Um, but Father Parker was asked to give the invocation, and this is how he introduced his prayer. He said, let us pray. Let us consciously place ourselves in God's presence. And when he said that, it's like my mind opened up. That's it. That's what I, have, what I want to say in a sermon. Prayer is our consciously placing ourselves in the presence of God, who is with us always. It's more to remind us of his presence than it is to remind God that he needs to be there. God is there always. So, 
All of this is simply to say that prayer is not simply about our speaking, as important as those words may be, but prayer is about our communion, our fellowship with God, our looking for and claiming God's nearness, His love, and His desire to bless us and use us in all the circumstances of life. So don't worry about the words you use in prayer if that would, is, has been a stumbling block in your prayer life. Just focus on God, the one who loves you, the one who knows what you need, and the one who wants to spend some time with you. When two people are journeying together, they learn how to communicate if that is what they really want. And I can assure you, God wants to commune with you. And hopefully it is our great desire to commune with our God as well. Let me just say that in conclusion, one of the most helpful books I read when I was doing this study of prayer um, was written by Dr. Leighton Ford. Some of you may know Leighton Ford. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. His wife, Jean, is the sister of Billy Graham. But uh, Leighton Ford has been a Presbyterian evangelist. And Jean has served on the session at Myers Park Presbyterian Church for years. But Dr. Ford wrote this book in, entitled The Attentive Life. Discovering God's presence in all things. And he reveals in that uh, in that book, in a kind of autobiographical kind of way, how he has discovered the, God's presence with him in all these different circumstances of his life, good and bad, joyful and painful. And he has communed with God when he's opened himself up to the presence of God in unexpected ways, at unexpected times, and through unexpected events. I would hope that if you do read it, it will bless your life as much as it has mine, and that you will also pay more attention to what God might be up to in your own life. So I invite each of us and all of us to pay more attention to where God is in our walk, what he would say to us, what he would have us to do. In fact, let me tell you two questions you can ask if you want to claim the nearness and the presence of God in your life. No matter what you're going through, ask two questions. What is God teaching me in this? Or in other words, what am I learning through this experience in life? And secondly, how can God use me in this experience? What would God have me do in light of this experience in my life? And I assure you, if you continue asking those questions as you go through your life, you will find your fellowship with God richer and you will even be seeking his presence or perhaps better seeking his face. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.